0: We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Surprise, surprise. Hallelujah. Long story short, have you been enjoying this series? I hope you have. Say it one more time. excellent work god is good have you been enjoying the series that's what i was asking you i have two. i have two. so much you know it's based on the scripture that says the the very scriptures of the bible in the old testament are testifying of jesus christ and so we went to the bible to prove it and we went to uh the very opening Story of the Bible, uh, Adam and Eve, did Jesus show up there? Yes, he did. The promised Messiah. We saw him in Abel and Cain. We saw him then later in Noah. We saw him in Abraham. We saw him come through with Joseph and Moses and all that group. It It came all the way through and you're seeing that the scriptures testify of him. Every single book in the Bible has its own story and its own anointing. But guess what? Underneath every bit of it is Jesus Christ. Every one of them. Every one of them. And that's what we've been studying. This thing is no accident. And that book put together, that was the hand of God to put that together over all those years. Can I get an amen? Yeah, you... You try to get a whole room full of writers to put together a book that'll explain the history of the world and I'll guarantee you that'll be the biggest mess. You just need to throw it away. There's no way they're going to agree. They're probably going to, somebody's going to kill each other just trying to get their way. And yet we have this Bible and men can't destroy it. They have tried their best. Aren't you thrilled they didn't destroy it? And every word of it is life. Every word of it is life. Thank you, Lord. This past year I was reading Leviticus, and everybody knows Leviticus is one of those books so hard to get through. It's like he's going to describe the temple. He takes five chapters just to describe the furnishings and how to make them. And I'm reading that, and all of a sudden it came to me in the Holy Spirit. This is how much I care about the details of your life. I'm designing it all. There are no accidents in the Lord. He's designing a life for you to every single detail. And then Leviticus came alive to me. And then I could see how God cares about the very tassels that are on the curtain of the Holy of Holies and it has to be perfect. Not accidental. There's no way a man would write that book. That had to come through the absolute inspiration of God. Well, we're going to go on tonight. We're going to do a new story tonight. And this story is on long story short, number eight Jonah and the belly of a great fish. (laughs) And I have loved studying it. Of course, we've all read the story. But you know, you forget the intricate details and you forget what really was going on. And maybe God surprises you with something new. You're reading the Bible and it just stands out to you. That's to you. That is to you. you that's why it's such a living testament. You read the Bible and what stands out to me is not what's going to stand out to you. Sometimes it just jumps out on the page to you. Long story short, you saw the bumper. Welcome to Redemption Church in Plano, Texas. This is to everybody. My name is Clyde Fluitt, and I'm glad to share this moment with you today. All of you online, we're so glad to have you here. And hello to our online church friends. Please leave us a comment and let us know you're there. Would you do that? And in-person worshipers, Please amen me frequently so I know you're still awake and you're with me. (laughs) Hallelujah. And let's don't forget to bring the Spirit into this. We're going to study the Word, but you supply the Spirit. That's where you say, thank you, God. That encourages me. If you did it for Him, you'll do it for me. Those are spiritual additions that you make. And you need to do that in the presence of the Lord. Every once in a while you need to just go hallelujah. My goodness. God you are so good. We're not stagnant in the word of God. We're living water in the presence of God. We are ever flowing fountains in a desert in a dry land. We've got to be that way. Thank you, Lord. All right. Jonah's a true story concerning the opposites. Christopher used to watch a show in the early 90s, I think. It was called The Opposites. And it it was hilarious where everything that happened in the little sequence was the opposite of the way it should be. Like mother walks in and says, you don't have to get up for school today. Just sleep in. It's just fine. That's the opposite. Something's wrong here. Or mother might say, oh, you don't need new underwear today. Just wear those same ones. No mother ever said those words. That's the opposites. Maybe the teacher said, we're not going to have school today. We're just going to draw stuff and have fun. That's the opposites. That doesn't happen. Well, Jonah, in a way, is the study of the opposites. And you can learn a lot from the opposites. Do You know that? We get the thou shall nots all the time. What if the Lord said thou shalt? You're going to go, no, we shouldn't do that. It, you're going to speak it, not him. It's going to happen. All right, so this is the story of the opposites. Um, I want to catch us up a little bit. I want you to show us a picture of the photo of Nineveh. Can you show us that? This all takes place in a city called Nineveh. Can you see that? Am I in the way? This was a mighty city. Now, we don't actually have a photograph, but this painting was done in the 1850s from the excavation that went on there. It's right on the Euphrates River. It was the greatest city in the world in 700 B.C. In the 700, 700 years before Christ, this was the greatest city in the world. You know how historians are, they're just like scientists, they can't get on the same page ever. But some of them say it was like 150,000, and some say it was a million. It's almost like it was either Plano or it was Dallas. It was really big. And back then, how do we know? We don't really know. But this is also, they're in the same nation with the Tower of Babel. Have you ever heard of that one? It's all so the same nation with the hanging gardens. Do you remember that? One of the seven wonders of the world. This was a magnificent city. It ruled the world. It was very wealthy. But guess what? It was also very sinful and very, very violent. They were violent against all their enemies, but also violence in their own city against one another. It was a wicked city. That's the city we're going to talk about tonight. Sometimes it's a little easy to be hard on Jonah, but I want to remind you that this is the city that destroyed, uh, that came up against Hezekiah. They were going to destroy Hezekiah, and Hezekiah and Isaiah had to pray, and that wicked king was destroyed by God himself. This might be the same king. His king, his name is Sennacherib, but we don't know what king is in the book of Jonah. He never says the name of the king, but he happens before Hezekiah, and so this could be the early days of that reign. You know, God doesn't do anything small or accidental. Maybe he was trying to save, or maybe there was a reason to to quieten this king at this time because something was going to happen later. I don't know. We don't know what happened. But it's very real. This is this is the kingdom of, of uh, Sennacherib and it's Nineveh, the wicked city. All right, we're going to read in the book of Jonah. And this is the first chapter. But Jonah's just a short book. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So God is talking to Jonah, his prophet. He says, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach against that city. It's wicked. Go and preach against it. Wait a minute. This is the same city that had already stormed Jerusalem. This is the same city that is going to whole pressure on uh, Hezekiah and God's going to have to deliver. And then ultimately, this is the country that will destroy Israel and take captive the children of Israel. This is a wicked, terrible place. It would be a little bit like God saying to you, hey, get up and go to Pyongyang, North Korea and tell them that I hate them and I'm fixing to destroy them. Well, it's like, I can't even get off the plane there without getting shot or put in prison. That has to be what Jonah was thinking. He did not want to do it. Can I get an amen? amen? All right. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed toward Tarshish. I mean, we got right to it. God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah's got his bags packed. He's out the door. He's going to Joppa where he finds a ship bound for Tarshish. Tarshish is up in Asia Minor, right on the coast of the Mediterranean. It's not really that, it's not directly opposite Nineveh. He's still going north, he's just not going northeast. This is the Fertile Crescent, and there's a roadway that goes from uh, Israel all the way around the Fertile Crescent into Nineveh and down into um Babylon all the way to the Persian Gulf. If you can remember your days of studying early civilizations, the earliest civilizations are supposed to have happened along that fertile crescent. So he should have gone a roadway. He would have had to walk hundreds of miles or take a cart or a horse, but he got on a ship and went due north rather than northeast, and he was headed for Tarshish, Because, but he's not fooling anything because God looks at your heart. God knew he was running the minute he got up and took off. He didn't take, ask for any directions or anything. He paid the fare. He went aboard the ship. He sailed for Tarshish to flee the Lord. Now that is the first opposite. This is a man that's a prophet. He's dedicated his life to the Lord. This is not his first time out of the bag. He's already gone to the king of Israel and given him prophecies, and they've all been true. He's already noted in the kingdom as being a prophet of God. And now God says, do this, and what does he do? He doesn't say a word. He just jumps up and leaves. That's the opposites, y'all. You've dedicated your life to God. Don't just jump up and run away from God. Hallelujah. All right, we're going to go on. Then the Lord said a great wind on the sea. Does this sound familiar? He's in the boat with these seamen and other passengers. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and they cried out to his own God. They're going to their own gods and going, what's wrong? And they threw cargo over. They're emptying the boats because there is no end in sight. We're going to the bottom of the ocean. If something doesn't take place, they're emptying everything out. And Jonah, he sees all this. He just sleeps, slips below deck and lays down and goes sound asleep. I think this is an opposite. It also reminds me of someone else that did that one time. There was a big storm on the Sea of Galilee and somebody was lying in the back sound asleep. Who was it? Jesus. Jesus. Wait a minute. It said the scriptures will testify of me. So they're already laying groundwork in the Old Testament of things that can even happen later. All right, so he goes fast asleep. The captain found him. He went to him. He said, How can you be asleep? My goodness, get up and call on your God. We're all calling on our gods. Call on your God. That's the opposite. You're a Christian. When you get in trouble, do you call on God? I need an amen from somebody in here. If you don't, then let's check that box. Let's check that box. Something's wrong. If something happens in your life or the life of your friend, you have open communication with the one who set you free. You quoted John 3.16. You gave your life to Him. Can I get an amen? amen? That made you a Christian. You laid down your life For a new life. Maybe you didn't understand that. You died out to this world so God could give you a new world and a new life and a new name and His Spirit within you. Do we understand that? You're a changed individual. When you get in trouble, do you call on the name of the Lord? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah! Amen! I'm just trying to instruct us a little bit. Maybe we all don't know. You, We all come from different backgrounds. Sometimes you're in churches that are really staid and everybody keeps their mouth shut unless there's a, something you're supposed to repeat. And indeed it is true. And that was your whole participation in the service. I'm not making fun of them, but we need to know this. When you get in trouble, you don't go, and indeed it was true. And you don't go, Jesus, I really need you. No, you go, Jesus, thou Son of God, save me. Amen. And he will do it. Yeah. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Give me a hand. It's the truth. Hallelujah. Now we have a man of God. He knows what's wrong but he's not calling on the Lord. He's sound asleep. Yeah. So the pagans have to tell him to call on the name of the Lord. Is that an opposite? Yes. How many times have you had a non-believer, someone who doesn't even believe there's a God, and they come to you and say, let's pray. Why don't you call on your God and he can save us? That Wouldn't you wish that would happen? Yeah. I want that to happen. God, I ask you, let that happen in the coming weeks. Then an unbeliever would say, pray for me, for I know that you know God. Thank you, Jesus. That is what it's all about. If you look at it that way, we may be riding on a boat in a storm right now today. It might be metaphor, but it's every bit as real as real can be. Our whole nation is in a storm right now. We can't define one thing or another. We can't figure out what's wrong. Who can write the ship? If suddenly, it's not sailing in perfect seas. Do you see how important Jonah is? It's showing us some real deep truths. Jonah didn't even know it. All he knew was he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He would rather die than go to Nineveh. He figures he's a dead man if he goes there. Jesus, thank you, Lord. All right. A bad storm and a sleeping prophet. That is an opposite. He answered, I'm a Hebrew. He's talking to the captain of the ship. He says, I'm a Hebrew. He's saying, I'm a Jewish person. I know Jehovah, he says. Uh, I worship the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and made the land. He knows who he is. And he knows who God is. And he's telling the captain, I I don't worship anything made of stone and, and pretty jewels. I don't worship mountains and sun gods. I worship the true creator God who created the sea and the land. Well, that's exactly what the sailors need to hear. You mean your God controls the sea and he also controls the land? Pray. That's what they're saying. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? Why would we be in this predicament if you know that God and you're his messenger? What have you done? They knew he was running away from God because he had already told them so. This is the scripture. The God of heaven who made the sea and dry land and you try to run away from this God It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And yet you know believers who are running from God. It makes no sense. Except some of us ran from God. I ran from God for years and years. And he put one roadblock and another roadblock. How could I cast a stone at Jonah? I was running and finally one day he just cornered me in, Rick, and I couldn't go anywhere. You fall on your face at that point and say, all right, I hear you, God. And then he opens up your understanding and you see how foolish you've been. To run from God makes no sense. The only thing that makes sense is to come forward, yield your life to God and say, God, I want that exciting commission that you have for me. We've got guys everywhere that line up and enlist in the army and they go and they fight for our country and we love them and they're veterans and we're going to celebrate a Veterans Day pretty soon again at Red Truck Cafe. We want to get together and take care of veterans. They're such brave men. Who's lining up for the army of the Lord? He's real. Let's enlist. It's an exciting life. Now you have to note that even though Jonah's running, he's living a pretty exciting life. This is pretty amazing. Even if it made no sense. The sea was getting rougher and rougher now. They could already tell. Have you ever seen those storms depicted on On uh, movies and and uh, even, even paintings where the the big ship is here but the wave is so much higher and the ship is going straight up in the air and then it's going straight down into the deep and you don't know if it's gonna level off or not and what it does is just go straight up in the air again it goes like a skyscraper into the air and then plunges into the depths There is no way the ship can hold together long in that kind of mistreatment. That's what they're in. So they ask him, what should we do to make the sea calm down? Now look, these are the men who had false gods and they were all praying to them. Those false gods are laying down somewhere now. They've thrown them aside. Every man there is looking at Jonah and saying, what shall we do? That's a total revival right there. He had everything going right there. What should we do to make the sea calm down? They knew who knew because it was his fault. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Y'all, that's the opposite. Who says, pick me up and throw me in the ocean? Why didn't he say, let's all bow right now while I confess to God that I'm a foolish man and I will go to Nineveh? Isn't that what you would say? No, he says, throw me into the sea. It's the opposites. And yet we have people doing that. Rather than kneel, they go, well, let's try anything else. Just throw me. God, take me. Kill me. Just shoot me. We have people that actually shoot themselves. They actually take their lives rather than bend a knee. If you're playing with God and you haven't bent your knee and given your life to Him, you're playing with dangerous, dangerous things. Do you hear me? You know somebody who played that dangerous game and it led to an early grave. You know it. I know it. I'm not the only one. We're not just playing games when we come to church. We're trying to reach for people that they don't get lost in the storm. That they don't get thrown off the ship into the waves. That they don't wind up in calamity. But they find victory. Thank you, Jesus. So when the pastor's up here speaking to you and he's Asking you to come pray. You're not always praying for yourself. You're praying for those dear people that you need to find God. I can't understand it. I want to run to the altar and say, God, save somebody. Save someone. Someone online right now. God, someone online right now has given up. I ask you, God, to reach to them. Child, Jesus is the answer, and you know it. Reach for Him. Reach for Him. Hallelujah. Confess your sin. That's what we do. We confess everything. If you don't know of huge, great sins in your life, you you confess of your weaknesses. You confess of your failures. You just... Humble yourself to God and he will bring you to a new place and a new level. But here we have a prophet of God. He's playing the opposites. Just throw me overboard, he says. My word. He replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault and that this great storm, that this great storm has come upon us all. It was all me, he said. Jesus. And then we have the biggest opposite of all. Compassionate pagans. They're compassionate and prayerful. Instead, the men, this is verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. They're not going to throw him in the water. These are pagans. They already have heard it's his fault. They've already heard the solution. Throw me away. And they're now they've got out the oars and they're trying to fight waves as big as buildings and they're trying to row to the nearest land. Well, they're going forward one step and being swept backward three steps. They're not getting anywhere. That's battling against God. That's trying to use an oar to get away from the storm when all you need to do is call on the name of the one who can calm the storm. It fits with your finances. It fits with sin in your life. It fits with its sicknesses. It fits with mental problems. It fixes all sorts of issues. Go to the one who created and just call his name. That's all we have to do. All right. Then they cried out to the Lord. This is the pagans. This is not him. Now they're crying out. They've forgotten Jonah for the moment. They're calling on Jonah's God like he's their God now. Lord! And guess what? That's all you have to do. He is your God. You are his child. You're just a little bit wayward, or maybe you just haven't ever called on his name. You've never even tried him. You've never even checked that box to see if he's real. You've All you do is call his name and see if he won't answer. I promise you, he will answer you in a way you never dreamt. In a way you had never thought of. So they called on him, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. They know now there's no way out. We're going to have to throw him overboard. He's going to die. And now his God is going to smite us for being murderers. And they're going, Lord, please don't do that to us. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. I can't believe they're still calling him innocent. He says, it's my fault. I'm running from God. These are pagans. They're forgiving and they're loving and they're compassionate and they're not going to throw him overboard and they're calling on the Lord. Can you say that's the opposite? opposite. (laughs) My goodness. Then, the verse 15, Then they took Jonah and they cast him overboard and the raging sea grew immediately calm. Y'all, that's a miracle right there. God is telling you something that happened and it's real. They threw him overboard. Everything went completely calm. One time there was a man on the Sea of Galilee and he just said, Peace, be still. And everything went completely calm. If you've got a storm, call on the Lord. He'll make it calm. And the next time you're in calm waters, how about you thank God for calm waters? How about you remember to praise God and when Sarah's leading us in a song that says hallelujah, why don't we all just yell out hallelujah? Wouldn't that be great? Thank the team For giving 150% up here. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. It's so marvelous. And they've always got a new song. Man those songs today were so full of words. But they were good. They were very good. And they put them on the screen. And you didn't even have to sing all of them. You could just say them. And you could get away with it. I loved it. They're doing everything they can to get you to participate fully. Now, maybe you are because I'm on the front row. I don't know. But I I thank you if you are. And I thank them for what they're doing. And we can always do more in our worship. And what we do is say, Jesus, set us free. Break every binding. I went to a church one time. It was a denominal church. It was way out in the country near Waco. I'd never been there before. I was invited by people to go there. And, and it, we went in and it was just one of those churches where you fold your hands and you don't know outward display. And I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm just going to praise the Lord. I'm going to show them the freedom of the spirit because I can raise my hands. And you know what? I couldn't raise my hands in that church. Uh, they were bolted to my side. It's like, and I was realizing, wait a minute, everybody in this room is bound. They, I don't know whether they're willingly, or whether it's the rule this church has set up, but I couldn't break that rule. It, I think God was showing me, everybody can't do this, sir. Everybody can't do this. Do you hear me? If you can't do this unto the Lord, there's a binding somewhere. And all you do is say, Jesus, break the binding. And He will do it. Maybe you didn't know that. I want you to know that. When there's a storm, praise God. When the team is worshiping, praise God. (laughs) Here we have Jonah doing nothing but throw me overboard, and the sailors are doing the worshiping. <laughs> oh. All right. So the prophet, while it looks like he's nobly sacrificing himself on their behalf, you could get that idea. Well, what a noble sacrifice. He's just going to sacrifice his life on their behalf. But don't forget, all he ever had to say was, forgive me, God, I'll go to Nineveh. He's not self-sacrificing. He's fighting the third round of this battle against God. And saying, okay, throw me. I'm just going to give my life. I'm not going to Nineveh. He went down, doubling down on not going to Nineveh. I'll show you God. Actually, that might be in there. This man has felt the Spirit of God. He knows God's voice. He's delivered God's voice. Kingdoms have been changed. Kingdoms have been saved because of God's voice coming through him. And yet, he's going to be tossed over. It's like, God will deliver me. He always does. Faith is good. And I want us to have that kind of faith. God will deliver me. He always does but let's not do it in a rebellious way. Let's go do what he says do. The real way to calm this storm is to turn around and go where God has called you. That's what he should have done. He would have saved all those men. It would have been a calm sea, and they would have dropped him off nearer to his destination. Jonah would rather die than go to Nineveh. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Now, here's where science comes into play, and they're going, There's no such thing as that kind of fish. I think it says the Lord prepared a fish. And if he wants to prepare a fish, he can do it. Don't get hung up on biology when you're talking about the Lord, because he's the creator of biology. And he created. On the spot, a fish that could swallow a man and he put in that fish a compartment where a man could sit and breathe. That's what happened. You don't question God. You want a miracle? Don't start doubting miracles. You either believe or you don't believe. Do you believe he created the earth with his voice? Do you believe the Word of God can do anything? That's what happened in this story. There's a spirit in the world today to question every single thing in this Scripture and to throw out this and throw out that and throw out this. That's not right. This is not right. This is not right. And pretty soon, your Bible is nothing. It's got more holes and it's got words. Don't throw out one single jot or tittle. I believe that's Jesus Christ talking. He said it's not passed away. Not one jot or tittle. And by the way, this is the 12 year old who was standing rabbis on their ear. They had never heard anything like what he was explaining to them. So God prepared this great fish and let's see, I almost lost my place. And it swallowed Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Did any lights go off when I said three days and three nights? He was in the belly of that whale three days. Three nights. Seems like We know of a person who was put in a tomb for three days and then came back. Do we know that? Are the scriptures sort of setting us up to realize that something God can do anything and He's going to do something great? It'll always be great. It will never be ho-hum. It will always be a testimony. If you're going through anything right now, you're setting up your next testimony. If you'll give it to God, you're fixing to have a testimony. I speak from experience. (laughs) All right. Certain death. Jonah prays to God in the belly of a fish. He finally prays. Isn't that great? He finally prays. Now, he has a great prayer. If I can get it to come up, I'm going to read it to you. Will you all bear with me? All right. This is the second chapter. We've only met the second chapter. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called on the Lord and he answered me. You need to quote that. Grab that as your next quote. Something happens. In my distress, I called on the Lord and he answered me. It is written, in my distress, I called on the Lord and he answered me. I've used that a lot of times, y'all. Quote the Word of God at your problem. Don't cry and bellyache and, and, and act like you're wringing your hands and you don't know what to do. No, quote the Word of God. This poor man cried and the Lord delivered him out of all of his trouble. It's Scripture. Scripture is alive. Scripture will stand. Scripture is strong. Scripture is the word of God. So you give God his word. God, you said in my distress I called on the Lord and he answered me. Thank you, Lord. From deep in the realm of the dead I call for help and you listen to my cry. He is in the realm of the dead and he knows it. You haven't had it this bad. I promise you, you haven't had it this bad. (laughs) I'm not even going to go into the gory details. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. This is a man drowning in the sea. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again. Toward your holy temple. It can't get too dark. That's where the suicidal person is going through. He's saying, you banished me from your sight. I have no hope. No, one more time, look toward the Lord. He will save you. Verse 5 The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. This is the eyewitness account. He's telling you exactly what he went through. To the roots of the mountains I sank. He went clear to the root of the mountains. Thank you, Jesus. The earth beneath barred me forever. He's trapped. He's in a jail at the bottom of the mountains of the world. But you, Lord my God, God was there. God was there. You can't run away from God. God was even there. Actually, Job had already told us God is at the root of the mountains. Who else went that deep into when they died, they went clear to the depths? Who was that? Did he? Did he go and find captives down there and lead them out? Did he do that? Did he go to the depths and grab hold of death and take away the keys? Yeah. Death is just dumbfounded. <laughs> the devil himself just take the keys and go back. This is what God is telling us right here. He's given us a, a prophecy of it. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them that I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. That's a pretty, that's pretty poetry. But that's also a beautiful prayer to pray when you're in trouble. Let's remember that one. Jonah 2. All right. Um, He thanks God for hearing him. He doesn't technically repent like I would think. Like, God, forgive me. I've run from you. I've endangered lives. I've been so careful about myself. It's all about me. Please forgive me. But he didn't do that. But he got God's attention and that's what we needed. He does not technically repent. It seems like Jonah's certain he's going to die. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited him up on dry land. Y'all, there were some fishermen nearby. Now the Bible doesn't say this, but there must have been somebody nearby that saw this huge fish come up and out of it walks a man. (laughs) And he's so covered in seaweed, you don't even know what you're looking at at first. Look, it's moving. And then it looks like the the monster of the Blue Lagoon coming out of that slime. (laughs) Well, they didn't keep that quiet. All the people of this shore around the Mediterranean worship the fish god Dagon. This is not accidental. (laughs) The god has dominion over Dagon. We've already seen it in David's time. God has dominion over false gods, every single one of them. And out of this depiction of the God they're praying to comes this prophet. And he stands up and he starts walking toward Nineveh. He's finally decided to submit to the Lord. Now the people of this region, that's a fish vomit deliverance. (laughs) I think the kids ought to like that one. The people of this region worship the fish god Dagon and someone must have seen the event. Jonah 3, 1 through 4 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. You don't get away from God. He went through every bit of that. God delivered him. And the next thing God says is exactly what he said at the beginning. Go to Nineveh. That's the way God is. And some people will pray against that. God, change it. No, don't do that. Please, I don't want to hear that anymore. God's word is yay and yay. All right. Um, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. You've seen it. I showed it to you. It took three days to go through it. Let me tell you, he didn't just walk right into the city. It was still a hundred mile walk. He had to walk up the Crescent and around to get to Nineveh. He didn't just walk right in the gate. No, there was a big hike going on. He finally gets there and he walks into the city and it. Uh, he begins to preach to them 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's his whole message. 40 more days and... This city is going to be destroyed. And he takes a few more steps. And he says it again. And it takes three days to walk all the way through the city. And make sure everybody's heard it. Believe me. They heard it. They heard the message. These are pagans. They worship a mountain in Nineveh. That was what they worship is a mountain. But one specific mountain was their God we think. And so... Here comes this man preaching. He's a Jewish guy. He's preaching Jehovah. Jehovah is going to destroy this place in 40 days. Jonah began going a day's journey into the city proclaiming God's word came a second time. The message, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. No mention of what Nineveh had done wrong. That wasn't in there. Turn it. Turn your evil deeds. Repent. Stop doing what you're doing. How about we be nice to people from now on? How about we worship the one true God? How about bend your knee to Jehovah because He's the only true God? He didn't say any of that. No instruction on how to respond and no mention of God. Just 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. It's the worst sermon ever. It gave me really a lot of courage to get up here today because it's not that bad. 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. No hope at all. Non-believers, people worshipping a mountain, the enemies of Jerusalem heard the message and believed. Did I ever tell you that this was a story of the opposites? The man preaches the worst sermon ever, He has the greatest revival ever, and pagans believe. Immediately, the Ninevites believed God. They proclaimed a fast. The king took off his robes. He actually made everybody fast, water, and food for a time. You can't go far without water. And then, he even made the animals wear clothing of sackcloth. Terea, you've got to get a sackcloth for that little baby. Your cows have to wear sackcloth. I mean, they didn't just say, we're going to pray to God and make some changes. That king lowered the boom on everybody and every single person, animal, king, official, uh, priest of Acadia, the mountain, They're all on their knees worshiping Jehovah and asking for deliverance. It's the opposites. The the king is saying, perhaps God will change his mind and not destroy us. My Lord. God saw their sincerity and how much they had stopped their evil ways and he changed his mind. I'm telling you, that's wonderful. Isn't that rejoicing? Isn't that time to rejoice? No, the pagan city repented that the opposite of what one would expect is what happened. God's verdict was overturned. Nine was overturned, not overthrown. But Jonah was angry. The scripture in Exodus, Jonah prayed that. He he remembered that scripture. Exodus 34 says that Moses was on the mountain and a cloud came and stood before him. And it passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And Jonah is quoting that to God. And he says, Jonah 3.10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them destruction that he had threatened. And Jonah says, Lord, you're compassionate, you're gracious, you're slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And it's like he's complaining about it. But I want us to draw from it. I want you to remember Where You turn your life to the Lord because He's compassionate (laughs) beyond all. He gives you a spirit of compassion. He wants you to have a broken and a contrite spirit. Even those burly old guys that give their heart to the Lord, they're broken in their spirit and they become compassionate because that's their God. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He'll allow you to get away with everything and still love you. He's abounding in love and He's always faithful. Jonah says in 4.2, Isn't that just what I said you would do, God? Now this is the first time we've heard that. But when he was in Israel and God said, go to Nineveh, He said, He obviously said, No! You won't do it! I'll go tell him, and you're so compassionate, you won't do it. So he's reminding the God again, Isn't that what I told you, God? You're so compassionate. We have a world, mainly because of hard churches, we have a world that thinks God is hard. That God's Unmerciful. That God is strict and He wants to destroy this earth. We have people who think they're Christians, who think that God is trying to trick them. I'm going to put this out here. If you go that way, then you're dead meat. But if you can find the right way, then you'll be saved. Those are lies and that's false doctrine. And get your eyes off of people Get your eyes on the Word of God. He's compassionate. He's long-suffering. And he loves you greater than anyone, including your mom. And God says to him, Is your anger are you is your anger justified, Jonah? Jonah, is your anger justified? Is it? He's angry that those people were saved. You know some people, some people out there on the internet that are angry with God. Is your anger justified? Hasn't He done everything He can for you? Anything you ever asked? Didn't He try to help you in every way? Haven't you? Maybe you've not tried Him. But he's, don't be angry with Him. Now He can handle it if you're angry. I've been angry. One time I was very angry with God. I slammed my hand down on the chair. I'll never forget it. I said, someone I loved and I prayed for died. And I slammed my hand down on the chair and I said, God, I did everything you told me to do. I was desperately angry, Terea. And God didn't want me angry. He whispered in this ear, I know, but I saved them. Because you were obedient, I saved them. God said that in this ear. And when he said that, all the clouds of anger went away. Now, he may have given me that experience just for someone here or someone online. I'm sharing it with you. I said, I'm angry. God can take angry. But he's a compassionate God. And he loves me. And immediately. I I'm, i did not wait a second. Immediately it came out of my mouth. He said. Because you obeyed me. I saved them. And y'all. That makes utopia in my life. My heart is so full. Of thanksgiving and love. And compassion for others. I think. I translated that to mean God. I think I translated that to mean Lord that if I will love somebody, pray for somebody, talk to them about you, you will save them. I believe it. After you receive the Holy Ghost, power shall come upon you to be my witnesses. power that's what we all want the powerless man is the one that's unhappy we want to be powerful well be powerful in the greatest power known to man if I will love them testify to them pray for them God will save them I think it's a great equation and I'm going to walk in it Charles I believe it all right. His anger's not justified. Four, five. Is it right for you to be angry? God's going. God says that to him in such a gentle way. Why didn't you just smack him across the face and say, "I'll put you back in that fish!" Yeah. He, he should have. You would have I would have I would have said, "Go to your room!") Go to your room. <coughs> No, God said, is it right for you to be angry? So Job goes outside of the village or the or the city of Nineveh, I mean, and he sits down moping. He's also unhappy. And God creates a, a plant to come up right beside him and shade him. <laughs> of course, he's a prophet of God. This might be nothing for him. Ron, it might be just nothing for him. But if I'm sitting on the in the lawn, Christopher, and a plant grows up like this right in front of my eyes and starts shading me with big leaves, I'm going to go, God, what are you doing? I'm going to go, Christopher, come look at this miracle. It took one minute. While I was watching, it grew up and shaded me. And he liked it. Joseph, I mean, uh, Jonah liked it. He was getting sheltered from the sun and God brought a cool breeze through there. And he had air conditioning and a covering from the sun. And then God created a worm and it came up right beside it and it ate the plant. Now it's withered and gone. And now the sun is beating down on jo- on Jonah like he's having a sunstroke because he's dizzy. The Bible says he... He was so hot, he got faint. The Lord is showing him something there. Can we find Jesus in this story? John 5.39 says something. It says, you study the scriptures diligently because in them you have you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify of me. Where is Jesus in this story? Where is the testimony about Jesus? Luke eleven twenty nine. 29. This is Jesus talking and he says, they said to him, show us a sign that you're God. Show us a sign that you're going to do all of these things. We need a sign. And Jesus says, Jonah was the only sign given to Nineveh. They had a stupid guy walk in their midst going, 40 days! That was their only sign. Except that they saw him come out of a fish, out of the depths of the earth. And he said, you only have a certain amount of time to cash in on it. So that was the only sign given to Nineveh. And Jesus says the Son of Man is the only sign going to be given to you. The only real sign you're given, Cleta, is that Jesus died for you. He was put in a tomb. He came back to life. There is no tomb anywhere. They can't find his body. And he was in the depths of the earth and he came back and he walked among us for 40 days and he ascended into the air. That's the only sign they were given and that's really the only sign you've got. Do you believe it? If you believe it, you win the lottery. If you don't believe it, you lose everything. That I hope that sounded like 40 days and God's going to destroy this city. We believe it. It would be foolish not to. And Jesus told us, it's the only sign I'm going to give. I gave my life. They put me in a tomb. I came back. They watched me rise. It's the only, I don't know of a better sign. I am God and I shall return. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Jonah's a type of Jesus Christ. His depth of the earth experience foreshadowed Jesus' crucifixion and being buried. He went to sleep in the boat. Another type of Christ. He descended into hell. That Going into that fish was like Jesus descending into hell. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. He said I was imprisoned by the earth. Jonah emerged from the belly of the fish after three days. Jonah was sent to save anyone who would believe his message. Both were men following God and preaching of coming destruction. Both were reluctant. But one was obedient unto death and the other was finally obedient unto life. Jonah's message saved Nineveh. Jesus' message will save the whole world if they'll follow him. Would the musicians come up? Like Jonah... Our perspectives are usually off. We don't have the big picture. Jonah never had the big picture. He didn't know that Sennacherib was going dis- to try to destroy Hezekiah. He didn't know that God was that make an archetype so that we could see Jesus in the Scriptures. He didn't know he was part of that. He didn't know God... Had a plan, and he was going to follow that plan all the way through, and you're just one cog in the plan. Sometimes things happen in our lives we can't explain. Why did you take that one, God? Why is that little innocent child going through that calamity? I don't know. We're all cogs in a super wheel, and God is going to bring it all to good, all to fruition, and it's going to be wonderful in the end. We don't have the big picture. God loved the individual person in Nineveh. I want you to get a picture of that. Whether it was the size of Plano or it was the size of Dallas, God loved every individual person. He knew them and He loved them. They worshipped a mountain. They were violent. They were evil. He knew them. He loved them. He gave them opportunity. I have to believe he knew the cattle. He must have known the animals. He must have cared about everyone. Does the Bible say he's very compassionate? It's bigger than you think. Jesus, you're so good. You're beyond our comprehension. Jonah loved Jonah and and he liked the plant sent from God. He knew God and Jonah conversed with God. There's no question that he was God's man but he failed in so many ways but God was compassionate and loved him and still blessed him with a plant and showed him the Lord giveth And the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We're going through junk. We can't explain it. But our understanding is very flawed. We're only working on partial clues. And we have a compassionate God that knows it. He's putting it all together. Jonah did not have the Spirit of God residing in him. In his soul. That didn't happen until Jesus arose. Until Jesus arose from that grave. And the day of Pentecost had the spirit poured out. God did not reside in a man. He would come and speak to the man. He would fall upon the man. He would speak through the man. But he didn't reside. Now he's given a spirit. That will reside in you and make you powerful that's what he wants to do in us and when we come forward that's what we're asking for God I need your power not only in me but in this situation I need you to help me we're supposed to be endued with that power we're hard on Jonah but he didn't have that he didn't even know that was coming Most of the time, each of us are spiritually nearsighted. Often we're worried over many things. And yet, we come together and say, I don't have a prayer request. How do you not have a prayer request? If we're honest, there's something going on we need prayer for. So we're not going to be hard on Jonah, and we're going to see the Lord in that whole scripture, and we're going to be encouraged. We're not going to run from God. We're going to follow the direction of God. All right, I want to give everybody a chance to come forward and I'm going to have Christopher come down and we're going to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. You're so good. I want you to come and not turn and walk away. I want you to come down and let Christopher pray for you and God will do great things for you saw pagans reach God today story. We're not pagans. We know in whom we believe. So if you'll come down, we'll pray. Jesus, God, Thank you Lord. For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.